and you're in charge and I'm just following your lead <laughs> today. Not always. Don't make a meme out of me saying that. <laughs> Listen. This is your mom writes books. What's happening? I don't know. I'm Caitlin McFarland. I'm Charlie and Holmberg. And today we're here to talk to you about ideas in our brains. Yes. That become books. <laughs> the end. Get an idea, make a book. This has been your mom writes books. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Oh my gosh, we should start a podcast where each episode's 10 seconds long. That would be so funny, but annoying. <laughs> I would not do that. <laughs> that idea, you generated that idea, but um, I reject it. Yes. So I uh, just gave a presentation on great ideas and where to find them at Storymakers. And so we thought that we would chat about this. And it goes along with our brainstorming episode. If you haven't listened to our brainstorming episode. Listen to it. Listen to it. Listen to this one. <laughs> Maybe listen to this one first. Look, this is great for because a lot of I know at least Apple Podcasts, which is what I use, goes backwards through time sometimes. Mm. And so you're getting this one first. Oh, yeah. Listen to this one. Listen to this one first and then listen to the brainstorming one. But if you didn't, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine, too. We support you. Let me tell you, I still think about that centaur thing. <laughs> yeah, I think about it too but mostly because i just edited that episode like two days ago so in our time not your time in our time yes (laughs) okay so the first thing that i want to chat about is what makes an idea good so i have an opinion on this right that i think a good idea is just an idea that makes you excited. If it's an idea that you're willing to write an entire book about, I think that's good. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. I I think if you're excited about something, other people will also be excited about something. If you're writing something that doesn't excite you, your readers also will not be excited. Yeah. Well, we kind of talked about this in our Spark episode, which is also a good one to listen to in relation to this topic. Yeah. That some sparks are big and some are small and some ideas can carry a whole book and most ideas cannot. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. But that's like where you get multiple ideas that you kind of snowball together. But we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I won't get ahead. I won't get ahead of us. <laughs> no, Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> so that is something. I do think that an idea that spawns further ideas is also a good sign of, an I- of a good idea. Mm. If you have an idea and it branches off into multiple ideas and more ideas and more ideas, that's that's a bookable idea. That's the idea for you. <laughs> but generally speaking, worldly speaking, mm-hmm. do you like how I triple adverbed that? Mm-hmm. Uh, what yes, constitutes like a great idea is uh, if high concept, right? And so high concept is the it's the best and the worst thing. <laughs> high concept. Yes. Let us attempt to explain this concept of high concept because I still don't quite understand it. It's We're the worst. Try. It's yeah. the worst. So here's the thing. Like what is high concept? I have a list of like 15 things that can be high concept. Notice I said can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you could try to do every single thing on this list and end up with a book that is not high concept. High concept is this like beautiful fairyland kind of thing that is very hard to grasp. I do think the more experienced of a writer you are, the easier it is for you to spot high concept ideas and therefore write high concept books. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. tricky. So high concept ideas slash high concept novels are novels that are very broadly appealing that everybody loves and they do crazy, crazy well on the market. So these are things like the Harry Potter series or Hunger Games or the Da Vinci Code. They're yeah. crazy popular because they have high concept ideas that people, like people who don't read fantasy, read Harry Potter. Yes, exactly. So I have a giant list. I don't know if that's what you're looking up. No, I just looked up. Look, I did a thing where I looked up the dictionary definition of high concept because I wanted (gasps) to see if the dictionary could explain to me something that I've never understood, but I've also never looked up. (laughs) This definition is from Oxford Languages, but I just Googled it. High concept, uh, especially in a movie or television plot. I think we can include novels in that. Emphasis on a striking 
an easily communicable idea. Mm. I like easily communicable. So you want it to be like a disease. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) let your concepts be contagious. Okay. So high concept novels. Here is a list. It is not an exhaustive list. Don't bother writing this down. You can Google this really easy. A lot of this I got off from a Jeff Lyons article on Writer's Digest. Mm. Okay. So there, I'm going to say the word unique like 15 times. It's unique on the market. It's a twist on the familiar, high level of entertainment value, high degree of originality, born from a what if question, highly visual, a clear emotional focus, inclusion of some truly unique element, mass audience appeal, shock value, mystery, strong connection to the main character. It's an emotional ride. It can be pitched quickly, like as in a one-liner, and generates buzz. And it's also wish fulfillment. I mean, like when I say wish fulfillment, that's a hard word for me. Wish fulfillment. Mm-hmm. I think how many of us really wanted to get our Hogwarts letter, right? You know what book I actually thought of was Twilight because I was thinking about mm-hmm, how yes. Twilight connected to all of these things. It is a teenager vampire romance, but the vampires are sexy instead of scary. Right. And that's yeah. kind of the one line pitch. Yeah. You want this like perfect, adoring boyfriend who stalks mm-hmm. you at night. <laughs> it's emotional because it's a romance. It's a wish fulfillment because he's super powerful and he loves you. And unique element is, because the vampires element. are done differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, which Stephanie Meyer was the first person to do that. Twist and on the familiar. I wasn't like a Twilight fangirl, but I did read the books. And so I feel like I have a semi objective point of view of twilight i never hated on it but i never super loved it but i can see and it mass appeal obviously did i already say mass appeal mass appeal because romance and the fact that okay so we released our romantic wall episode a few weeks ago and it at the time of this recording has more downloads in one week than any of our other episodes yeah shows that romance has mass appeal (laughs) so (laughs) yeah that's what should be on this list instead of mystery it should be romance yeah, but yeah, but also if you think about like Twilight, the vampire, the idea of the vampire is inherently Mystery. mysterious. Yes, true, true. And so, yeah, and so I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting. And like, okay, so then let's look at Harry Potter. So then why is Harry Potter high concept? It's a wizard school, but Harry's a normal kid. So there's the mystery mass mm-hmm. appeal because don't we, didn't we all when we were children wish that we would find out that we had magic powers? I oh, did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, also like, so that's the wish fulfillment. Uh, Definitely strong connection to the to the main character. Mm-hmm. Like you're very sympathetic towards him. He's but he's also competent. Like once he's given the chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Harry also Harry is interesting because I think part of his mass appeal also is that he's competent, but he's not the most competent. So yes. we all relate to him because mm-hmm. he's such an everyman character. Yeah, and storyline full of twists and turns or something like that yeah i think that counts but it's like also a high level of entertainment value all mm-hmm. the different classes all the different magic all the things that stem from all the different magics like that's entertaining yeah and a one word pitch an 11 year old boy finds out finds out he has magical powers and has been enrolled in a magical school yeah that's and also like i guess you could add on to that also he's the chosen one and must defeat the dark lord yeah. which <laughs> well i mean you just say like this boy in a magical school defeated the dark lord as an infant it's like what yeah, yeah it's all you could you could do you could come up with like 50 one line pitches for harry potter and they would all sound really interesting gosh i think this is kind of fun and useful i don't know is there another high concept thing we want to pull apart really quick as to why it's high concept and then we can move on to other stuff uh what about supernatural i actually thought of supernatural too no 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 it's soulmates, high concept, the guys are hot oh no well okay mass appeal <laughs> okay so supernatural supernatural and harry potter i feel like are fantasies that non-fantasy lovers can get into right but this is also something that's interesting is that like i would like to point out that even though I think that Supernatural was conceptualized by its creators to appeal to men, it actually appealed to women more. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the why of that is interesting to me. The mass appeal exists, but it mostly like a lot like every Supernatural fan that I know of is female. <laughs> and I did I watched a lot of Supernatural, but like okay, so I think the hidden world concept 
is part of mass appeal. I always like the idea that there's secretly magic that appeals to me. I do think that the hot leads are part of the mass appeal to the female audience. They have in their first couple seasons, they definitely have a big mystery thing. Cause you're want, where did the dad go? Yes. What is the connection to the yellow eyed demon? Yeah. You know? Mystery is a huge part of it. And also the mystery of the of the hidden world, like the monster of the week aspect where it's like, oh, what other mon- types of monsters are there? And a lot of them are real like lore monsters. And I always found that really interesting. Like, I've never heard of this before. And this mm-hmm. is like real mythology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's see the relationship between the brothers. Like mm-hmm. people relate to loving somebody. Loving your family, I think, is very relatable and people relate to the family ties. I love the fact that it was so small town America. I think that feeling of yes. small town America made it super relatable, which is where I feel like they failed in all of their spinoffs, which people can disagree with me. But I feel like that small town America was such an integral part of the mm-hmm. appeal of Supernatural, that them not doing that with their spinoffs is what made them fail. Anyways, that's my small soapbox. No, I thought like, oh, that's what they did that Buffy didn't do. Small mm-hmm. town America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, what else makes Supernatural high concept? I mean, the pitch. Easy to pitch. Yeah, easy to pitch. Mm-hmm. Two brothers drive around in a classic muscle car hunting demons, saving people, hunting things, the family business, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. That's their one-line pitch. Saving they people, hunting things, the family business. They definitely have moments of shock value, for mm-hmm. sure. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Honestly, I really loved how they did Armageddon. Like, mm-hmm. death was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's the twist on the familiar, right? So they took yeah. biblical they took biblical um, mythology and made it their own, mm-hmm. right? They took Christian mythology and made it their own. And whether or not you are a Christian, like there is a lot of mythology that surrounds Christianity. So yeah. I think we can agree on that. Well, they did it. I think they did it pretty tastefully, though, because like they never mm-hmm. really mentioned Jesus. It's all about Michael, you know, yeah. like they knew that would be stepping in some, you know, shiznets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So one of the easiest ways to get ideas, and this is probably one that anybody who's been in the writing sphere for a while has heard is that you play with tropes, mm-hmm. right? So a trope is, is like a common and recurring literary device in creative work. So TV, novels, movies, books. So name some tropes, Caitlin. Um, how specific do you want me to get? <laughs> Whatever. So like we mentioned one already, the chosen one. Very right. popular okay. fantasy trope. Yeah. So there are very sweeping tropes. Okay. So um, the farm boy who saves the world, that's mm-hmm. Star Wars. That is the Wheel of Time. That is, you know, classic hero's journey, right? So hero's yeah. journey. It's kind of a Lord of the Rings too. Lord of the Rings. Absol- mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you also have Band of Brothers. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, Band of Brothers the, the or the Fellowship, right? Like, mm-hmm. which may even be named for Lord of the Rings, where you have a group of a group of heroes or a group of people who together their disparate skills allow them to save the world, which is like mm-hmm. one of my absolute favorites, which is why I write ensemble casts in my books. Yes. Um, Absent parents in young adult novels. Yes, or orphan children, orphan, orphan chosen one, or secret princess. <laughs> like, secret I princess. hate secret princess. <laughs> yes, secret, secret princess, secret heir, secret uh-huh. magical powers. Like right, yeah. but then tropes go all the way to um, things that are very specific to genre. So, like a romance genre specific trope would be like secret pregnancy, second chance romance. Enemies to lovers, friends Enemies to lovers, to lovers. absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, um, one that I used in so insta love is a trope, right? Mm-hmm. Or what a slow burn romance is technically like it's a, like all these things that we use to classify. Like if somebody was like, ah, what's in this book? You'd be like, ah, it's a slow burn romance with a kick a female girl, like or female girl. <laughs> Um, okay. Oh, it's a slow burn romance with a kick a girl who has a sword, you know, and mm-hmm. uh and a broody assassin is her love interest. Mm-hmm. And that is those are all tropes, things that you use to summarize a book in the broadest of terms, those are tropes. Yes. So if somebody were to like essentially retail retell the hero's journey like Star Wars style right now, we'd be like, oh, this book this is so tropey. We've seen this story before. So what you want to do is twist a trope because tropes aren't right. bad. Tropes are popular for a reason. Right. Because tropes are, let's say, emotional shorthand 
Yeah. Yeah. You pick a trope and you can immediately use it to make people feel a thing, right? Uh, people and people are attracted to certain tropes. And to, a love triangle is a trope, right? The love triangle is a trope that I do not prefer. Um, <laughs> and you can use that to, I don't know, set up your story and people will know whether or not they'll like it kind of based on what tropes are in it. And also, let me really quick uh, just point out there's a website called TV Tropes. I think it's tvtropes.com. tvtropes.com, yeah. Yeah, and you can find literal lists of tropes and there are like thousands of them. Yeah, there's so many. Yeah, so tropes are bad when they're followed like roadmats. But if you can twist the trope or Mm -hmm. change the trope, Mm -hmm. then that gets exciting and that can be high concept as well. Yes, exactly. And oh, really quick before we start talking about twisting tropes, I will just say, I'll say if you pick like a trope that you don't twist, it is okay to not twist a trope, but you can't fill your whole book with tropes. Just like pick one or two good ones and then twist the rest of them. So now we're going to talk about how to do that. Yes. Okay. So these are uh, four methods that I found. There's all kinds of ways to do it, but here are the four that I found that I really liked for twisting tropes. So obviously the first one is uh, twisting it. So you follow the trope a certain way and then you change like the ending. You do something what the reader is not expecting. There's some surprise in the trope. So a bad idea of this would be a love triangle. Okay. You have boy A and boy B and then you twist the trope and you cho- choose boy C. <laughs> right? It's like you're surprise. expecting her to choose, yeah, choice, choose. Wow. One of those people. This would maybe be a good time, or maybe we could talk about this later. A good time to say that, like, when you twist a trope, the setup still has to be appropriate. Do not do something just for shock value that you have not set up. That is not good writing. That is cheap tricks. Yeah. So it'd be like, and then a meteor came and killed them all. It's like, what? That's cheap. That's not. <laughs> surprise. Okay, let's, I, I, yeah. Surprise is not the same as catharsis. We want readers to feel or shock is not the same as catharsis. I think that's what I'm trying to say. We want readers to feel catharsis and and surprise. We don't just want to shock them and have them be like, that's freaking stupid. Mm-hmm. And then throw the, you throw your book across the room, right? I think that you're just channeling some uh, Game of Thrones anchor into this podcast. How did you know, Charlie? <laughs> Gosh dang it. You are for real reading my mind today. <laughs> we are one, Caitlin. We are. Jeez. <laughs> How long have we known each other? seven years six or seven years we're almost the american average oh my gosh we're almost common law married oh my god (laughs) okay anyway next one um i think odd combinations so putting tropes together that normally wouldn't go together so one I have for this, the one I do in, in this presentation is I talk about the cranky detective. And as soon as I say that, everyone thinks of Sherlock Holmes, right? But mm-hmm. it's a very popular in like mystery genre to have a cranky detective. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, what was, what's something that would go with a cranky detective trope that you would normally never put in there? And I was like, oh, I know. Let's put the like ugly girl beauty makeover trope on the cranky detective. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. What? Can you please explain that further? He's the one having the ugly girl yes. beauty makeover. <laughs> yeah. So like those are two that those are two tropes that you wouldn't see. So that's basically the nineties um oh my like god. Like the she's all that. Yeah, she's all that. Like, she's all, all that. What's her face? Took off her glasses and she's pretty now. I know. <laughs> so all nineties chick flicks seriously have this trope where the Gosh. girl gets a makeover and all of a sudden her life is better, which is terrible. But like what if you did that to Sherlock? Hey you guys. If you're pretty without glasses, you're also pretty with them. I don't know how many of you guys have seen those like reels or those TikToks where the girl like takes off her glasses. She's like, my life's so different now. (laughs) And then (gasps) runs into a wall. (laughs) Okay, so that's odd combination. So taking two tropes that don't seem like they would fit together and making them work together. Okay, so another way that you can play with tropes is to layer them. And I'm thinking including multiple tropes in the same novel. And you can kind of do the odd combinations too. Mm -hmm. So my example, again, is Cranky Detective is actually a woman disguised as a man. And his original elderly mentor is even more elderly. And he's in a love triangle with his assistant and his mentor. And he may or may not be the chosen one. That's a lot, Charlie. But that's a book. You can book that. 
I would, okay, I would say you could not book that in a contemporary type novel, but maybe in a fantasy novel. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I sure. challenge somebody to book that in a contemporary way. Is it bookable? I Is don't it know. Bookable? <laughs> Did right. book happen? I don't know. And then finally, um, I think doing a cast change. So I think a lot of times when we have tropes, we imagine a very specific kind of character fulfilling those tropes. Mm-hmm. So what if you you changed the cast of those tropes? So my example was, what if the cranky detective is now played by a, a popular drag queen? Because <laughs> that's not who you usually would think be, being the one solving the mysteries. Interesting. I would totally, totally read a set of novels starring a drag queen detective. I, I can't lie. I also would. I all, you guys can have that one, but I would read those. Or like, yeah. what if the chosen one is an 80-year-old woman? Oh my gosh. Right? But like, as soon as you change the cast, all of a sudden it's like, huh. Like that starts, I get little shivers and get all excited. Yeah. Um, gender bending is a really popular way to do this. So people do all the time. Changing somebody's like age is such a good way to do this. Mm-hmm. But that's another way to do it. You can, you can genre swap and you can gender swap. And mm-hmm. that changes stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, what if the Hunchback of Notre Dame was a science fiction? Or what if the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo's a woman? Yeah. Interesting. So definitely like interesting things. There's are a lot of people who have do that. And that's and that's a really good for a one-line pitch to say, mm-hmm. oh, what's a what's a classic novel? This is a tale of two cities except with a girl, you know, or except yeah. tale of two cities except it's um, a thriller, a modern thriller. Yeah, my idea for the Deep Magic short story I wrote, Lady of War, started out part of it started out as like a gender bent sleeping beauty, like what if Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl had to kiss the guy. And mm-hmm. I mean, that ends up not coming in really until the end of that. But yeah. well, I have a book that hopefully maybe someday I'll finish that originally started as what if Cinderella went to the ball and she fell in love with the king and not the prince? Yeah, I remember you know? that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I have like 10 chapters of it written. But if you look at it now, like look at how it evolved and how it's written, you would never be like, oh, yeah, this is a Cinderella story. You would never pick that out. But yeah. that is how it started. That is where I got the idea. Yeah. And so often these, yeah, these tropes are just jumping off points. And we end up going back and be like, you know, we get so far into the character development and into the plot that it's like, y- you may even sometimes get to the point where you're like, eh, this original trope doesn't really even fit anymore. And so you do away with it, or it just kind of disappears because it's masked by everything else. Yeah. I mean, like tropes can literally just be starting points for your ideas and your ideas evolve. They always change. They evolve. Revisions even, just revisions change things. That was a really dumb way to say that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I thought it was fine. Um, One example that's currently popular is Sarah J. Moss's A Court of Thorns and Roses, which uh, clearly started out as a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of those elements are present Mm -hmm. if you've read the actual fairy tale. And then, but see what she did then is, and I don't know, I guess, spoiler, so skip ahead 15 seconds. Uh, If you want to read that, at the midpoint, she, it's transformed into that fairy tale trope where it's like, girl has to go through trials to save the boy or to Mm -hmm. prove her worthiness for the boy. I mean, just that song. What is that song? Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Mm-hmm. What's that mm-hmm. song called? Scarborough oh, Fair. Yeah, Scarborough Fair. That's a song about having to commit, have to commit, commit trials, <laughs> having to, uh, you know, succeed in trials to earn your loved one. It is, which is really interesting. Sell me a shirt without any seams. It's like mm, you're high maintenance. Let's go find somebody else. <laughs> that is the trope. The trope is that they're impossible tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes, famous authors are doing that. Do they do it well? Mm. But. <laughs> so funny is I have I've had two books that people have deemed as uh, Beauty and the Beast retellings and I actually didn't do that on purpose it just happened that way oh yeah and, like one of them Will in the Wilds I was like oh my gosh like this has so many similarities to the classic Beauty and the Beast like the father like especially Disney's Beauty and the Beast like with the father not being all there okay I can and living see... in the quaint village and okay I could see but see I this is something that like okay maybe you guys will judge me for this but if something is a retelling of the Disney version of a fairy tale I'm just kind of like that's not a real retelling yeah because Disney is a retelling yeah Disney is already you're retelling a retelling like I just I I mean it's fine but it's like it's something I see so often which I just think is so funny that the Disney version of fairy tales are accepted as like canon yeah and I'm just like this is not okay 
Or they, they say like, um, followed by Frost is a gender bent Beauty and the Beast retelling because Smith is the Beast. That's a stretch for me. I don't, I don't follow. Yeah, it's, or it's like Ice Queen retelling, and I've actually looked up the Ice Queen story, and I'm like, the only similarity is that there's ice. <laughs> like, Snow. See, but I could see a Snow Queen retelling easily more easily than. Are those two different stories? No, snow it's queen, the Snow. Queen? It's called the Snow Queen. There's no Ice Queen. It's called the Snow Queen. What did I look up? I looked up the one where it's like. Some mirror shatters into a million pieces. Yeah, that's the Snow Queen. Oh, maybe I should actually read it instead of looking at the Wikipedia article. <laughs> All right, next up. So, mentioned this earlier, snowballing smaller ideas into a big idea. And this is something we've talked about before. But keep a list of every idea you get that's even slightly exciting to you. Keep it on a piece of paper, a notebook, your your laptop, your iPad, your phone. Keep a list. There have been so many times where I've gone back to an idea that I came up with years before and ended up using it that I would have mm-hmm. that I would have forgotten about. Like I was just going through my ideas the other day because I was trying to see what I can mush into this story that I'm plotting, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So you won't yep. remember. <laughs> I have also had that experience and I keep mine in my notes app on my phone because nowadays too, with phones and with a lot of stuff, our data, like they just move it to your next device when you get rid of it. So you don't, you can lose it. So be careful. So maybe, you know, keep, keep them also in a notebook or or, or print them out every once in a while or something. But yeah. Yeah. So you can always take ideas and then mush them together. So whether it's like setting ideas, plot ideas, character ideas, magic ideas, great lines, etc. And this is what I had to do with my Numina series. So I got bullied into writing that series, which is funny because it's actually my favorite story that I've told. But <laughs> my agent and my editor both wanted me to write a series because I was writing all these standalones. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to write a series. And so I went to my idea folder and I got all these little, I just wrote down everything in my idea folder that was currently interesting to me. And I smushed them all into a book. And so for clarification for people, what would you say is the difference between layering tropes and smushing them together? Well, some of these are like one of the ideas I smushed together was an immortality switch. That's not a trope. Oh, so they're just like ideas I had. So like it was an idea of I was like, what if somebody could turn immortality on and off like a trope? Not trope. Oh, my gosh. Like a switch. (laughs) But wait, but I'm still confused. What the difference is between layering and smushing? I don't know. You guess they're the same in this case, but like these aren't tropes that I'm playing with. Okay. You know what I mean? These are just okay. ideas I had. So layering tropes and then smushing ideas. Yeah. So okay. like I'm, my idea is like I have a little snowball and I'm going to wrap it up in another idea and then wrap it up in another idea. Okay. And so the three ideas were immortality switch. I always wanted to write a story about one of Helios's horses breaking away from the chariot and getting like found on a ranch. And of course he's actually humanoid and romance. The thing is, I never wanted to. I'm sorry. Did you want to write the last unicorn, but with a fire horse? Oh my gosh. But I didn't want to actually last unicorn did come into the second book in the series. I didn't want to write about Greek mythology. Uh-huh. So I had never written that one, but I still like the idea of a fire horse. And I always say that the fire horse on the cover of Smoke and Summons is Rapidash um, <laughs> from Pokemon. <laughs> and then the final one was, I used to play Final Fantasy a lot. And in Final Fantasy, you have summons. So these creatures, these otherworldly creatures that you can summon to fight for you. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if they had to take over a body in order to come down and fight for you? And so those three ideas got smushed together and made the Numina series. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you take you. So when one you're layering tropes and this one, you're taking your own ideas and smushing them. And I would even say you can take a trope in one of your ideas and smush those together too. Look, what is that line from Shakespeare? There's nothing new under the sun or something like that. I think that's Shakespeare. There's nothing new under the sun, but there are new combinations of known things. Yeah. There's more than one way to bake a cookie. Yes. And that is where creativity lies. Creativity lies in the combination of new things in the margins of familiar things, you can find it. Yes. Okay, next way to get ideas. <laughs> Wikipedia rabbit hole. Have you ever gone down that? <laughs> of course. 
Who who in our the year 2021 has not gone down a Wikipedia rabbit hole? I would like to meet that person and ask them if they have the internet. Wikipedia is full of so many freaking articles and the articles they showcase on their main page change regularly. So you can even just go to the main page of Wikipedia and look for something interesting and click on it. And then there'll undoubtedly be something interesting in that article and you click on it and then something interesting in that article and you just keep going and going and going and you get... You can get tons of cool ideas from mm-hmm. Wikipedia articles. Yeah. Start clicking around, keep a notepad next to you, and just like anything you find interesting, just like pull that little thread and write it down. All right. So this was one of the things on our high concept list. It stems from a what if idea. And most of my ideas that come from, well, what if this? What if that? Right? Yeah. So there's a few ways that that Caitlin and I like to mess with this. And one is, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the what if then game. Okay, so let's say, what if Caitlin was a dog? (laughs) (laughs) Then she would be a good little girl, wouldn't she? No, that's a really terrible idea. But you would do like a what if then. So you would take those two papers and the idea of the game is that you pass them around so you get what ifs and thens that don't match. And then you read them and it's usually really funny, right? But- wait. Wait, so you write them on the same piece of paper? No, two separate pieces of paper. You have a what if paper and a then paper. Oh, okay. And then you pass them around so you get what ifs and thens that don't match up and you read them out loud. And then you just read them in order. <laughs> and that's really funny because it won't, like, like, you know, it doesn't make sense. But, uh-huh. like, if you did that with a story mode focus in mind, and you can even play it with yourself. You don't have to play it with other people. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. what if this, like, what if a meteor hit the earth? Then I wouldn't be able to see anymore. And it's like, well, what did the meteor do that took away my sight? And it starts stemming ideas, right? Mm-hmm. I think another way to do this um, is what me and Caitlin call the hat game. <laughs> yes, the hat game. So as we've mentioned, Caitlin and I have a book on sub right now. And the idea for this book came from the hat game. Yes. And the hat game is where you take a hat or other vessel and mm-hmm. you put in all the ideas that you like. Books you like, movies you like, tropes you like, what have mm-hmm. you. Yep. And then... You take out two at a time and you think, okay, if I wrote a story that was the Da Vinci Code meets Harry Potter, what would that story look like? Dang. And you just keep doing it until one one interests you. And right there, you also have a, a easy pitch. Yeah. Oh, it's the Da Vinci Code meets Harry Potter. Hmm. You know? I was just going to say, I think we also described this on our Spark episode. Oh, yeah. We probably did. But that's a that's a really nice way to get ideas. And you can just keep a jar on your shelf. And every time you see something that you like or you think is cool, add to mm-hmm. the jar. Five months later, you can play the game when you want a new idea. And you, you won't even remember half the stuff in there. This thing that Charlie keeps describing where she's like, hey, write down your ideas. That's good advice, you guys. Write them down when you have them because you will forget later. <laughs> yeah, it really. Write them down. Write them down. Um, another thing I have is repurposing a small idea into something bigger. So one way to do this is you, have you ever read a book or watched a movie and there was some really small thing in there that you thought, whoa, that's really interesting, but they Mm -hmm. don't do anything with it. And you're like, but that could be its whole, its own story right there. You know, you just take that out and you turn it into a, something bigger. So I did this for Spellbreaker. Mm Mm-hmm. So I love House Moving Castle, Studio Ghibli's House Moving Castle. It's my favorite movie. And there's a line in Spellbreaker. And again, this is something I wrote down. And then like three years later, I turned it into a book. Mm -hmm. But there's a scene where Sophie goes up to the Witch of the Waste and she says, if you're so great, why don't you break the spell you put on me? And the witch says, I'm sorry, dear. My talent lies in casting spells, not breaking them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a magic system where you can either cast spells or break spells? You can't do both. Yeah, that is really interesting. I always thought that the magic system in Frozen was something that was highly underexplored because it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And what the heck face other kind of magic users are there in this world? Where does the magic come from? Why does it exist? It Like every time I watch that movie with my kids, which like, yeah. Every time I watch that movie with my kids, I think these things again. Mm-hmm. And so if there is something that you – some piece of media that you consume that raises these kind of questions in you that you feel like they never explore fully, take it, explore it, make it your own. That's yeah. such a good place to find ideas, I think. Okay. So other ways to turn a small idea into something bigger – I think the butterfly effect. So consider the ramifications of the small idea you have. Mm -hmm. The butterfly 
effect is essentially a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the world and then it creates a hurricane on the other side of the world, right? Right. So butterfly effect your story. Or you change the scale. And I was like, okay, what's an idea I could use for this presentation? And I actually really ended up liking the idea. Um, So change your scale. If you have a small idea, make it bigger. So say your small idea is a kid spilling a glass of water on his sister's painting. How do you make that bigger? Okay, well, obvious one could be an assistant is now spilling water on the master painter's painting. And you make it bigger by who that painting is for. Like maybe that painting is due to the local mob boss the next day, or the prince commissioned it, or something like that, and that makes it bigger. Or, and this is the one I liked, make it even bigger. What if a demigod spilled an ocean on another god's world? Oh my gosh. (laughs) See, my brain went to... My brain went to what if the painting, what if the painter has powers that let her open portals to other worlds or trap people inside the paintings and spilling water on it just opened a portal or freed a monster or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's so many ways. There's a good way. See, we have the same prompt and we went different mm-hmm. ways with it. Yeah, this is something that I've always kind of wanted to do with my friends, but we haven't done yet. I always think it would be kind of fun to take a prompt, a writing prompt, the same one, and have like five different writers mm-hmm. take the same prompt and then write a story and see what kind of different stories come from it. So there yeah. you go. If you have writer friends and want to have a party where you just sit around and write and don't talk to each other. Right. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of anthologies that kind of go off of that or they just have like, I think it's usually more of a same theme, not the same prompt. Yeah. But I have an anthology. I own an anthology. And the theme was like, well, it's your cow. And that had to be in like the first paragraph of it. It's like, well, it's your cow. And like, it's interesting to see where the the authors took it. Yeah. Anyway. So, I mean, let's talk about some obvious places to get idea is real life events, right? The news, Mm -hmm. newspapers, current events, hot topics, um, personal things that have happened to you or your friends' experiences, Mm -hmm. uh, caveat with permission, others' anecdotes with permission. Mm-hmm. dreams is one i've never gotten an idea from a dream because i have my dreams are yeah we know because <laughs> <laughs> my dreams are nonsensical or just about my kids or something random like that oh i listen to so okay so i'm a writer right and then seems you and are D D. but you do when it comes to the media that i consume i almost 100 percent listen to true crime Yes, true crime. Okay, some D and D real play podcasts, but most of my time is spent listening to true crime podcasts. And man, people have done bizarre things. You guys, there are bizarre Ugh. things that have happened. Yeah, but that's kind of a rip from the headlines one. But yeah, I just, I just yeah, I think it's a there. really good idea, to, good place to get ideas. I do not listen to true crime because uh, I think that's a really good I- place to get ideas. But I uh-huh. don't listen to true crime because um, anxiety, like. Yeah. I don't want to know about all these absolutely horrible things that people do to each other. Like, yeah. I just, I need to pretend like that doesn't exist because I will just lay awake at night and panic. <laughs> yeah, I have had to stop doing things before. I've had to take breaks before because I know when I'm getting anxiety attacks at night, it's time to take a break from true crime. Um, but actually, I get it more from like fictional crime. Like, I had to stop watching Criminal Minds. <laughs> Um, even though I love Dr. Spencer Reed, Dr. Spencer Reed forever. I don't even know what any of this is. I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's a, t- it's a, it's a like crime of the week TV show, uh. but no, if you ask yourself at any given moment, I wonder what Caitlin is doing right now. The answer is 90% likely to be listening to a true crime podcast. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So yep. uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I, there's always right what you know, Right. And it's like, well, my life's so boring. But I feel like there are pieces you can use. So I'm writing a contemporary romance right now where I'm supposed to be. Um, and it's like, I made the main character a technical writer in a job that, like, I took two real jobs that I used to have and smushed them together. And she's a technical writer there. And I don't have to look that up because I was a technical writer. And I made her be in the roller derby because I'm familiar with the roller derby. And, like, the guy she dates is a tabletop gamer because I'm familiar with tabletop gaming. Yes. And, you know, and that is, I think real life is such a good place to get ideas for characters mm-hmm. because that will make them more relatable. Mm-hmm. And I think that, so I think real life is probably the best place to draw inspiration for characters 
and then the weird recesses of your mind is where you go for plot and uh, world building and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm like, I have write what you know, and on my list, I have write about your insecurities. And I actually had somebody email me the other day, rudely, um, saying like, why do all your characters think that they're not lovable? And I'm like, they don't all think that, but it definitely has been like a slightly recurring thing. But it's like, that's because that was like one of my biggest insecurities, like growing up. You know, mm-hmm. so of course it's going to show up in like my books. But I mean, you can write about your job, your opinions, your expertise, your family members' expertise, your insecurities, your strengths, your weaknesses. You, you can know. write about being a mother, being a friend, being mm-hmm. a sibling, being, you know, bored at work. I actually think this is something I want to bring up where you can find funny things in the mundane. First of all, The Office and Parks and Rec are such good examples of people loving the mundane. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, twists on the mundane. But also, like, Think of the most, I'm going to say, the most memorable and insidious villain, one of them, that I have ever read in my life, is Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. Mm. And she is not a dark lord. She is your terrible boss. She is the teacher who makes you hate school. We all know a Dolores Umbridge, right? And it's not because she is some high concept. I mean, she is high concept. But it's not because she's some crazy, insanely powerful villain. It's because she is the villain in all of our lives. Ooh, that is a good quote. Thank you. No, that's a good point, though. And you can start a book with character. A lot of people, they get the idea of a character first, and then they write a book about that character. So, you know... If there's a, if the character of your old life you want to write about, or I think it's totally fine to marry Sue a book. And when I say marry Sue a book, it's when people write stories that are secretly about them and they're like the cool person and they get to do all these things through the novel they don't get to do in real life. But sometimes that works. Patrick Rothfuss has come out and said that he Marty stewed Name of the Wind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, if that's what you want to write, do it. Ask yourself, who interests you? What kind of personality have you yet to write? Or Mm -hmm. take the last book you wrote. I'm going to start doing this, I think. Take the last book you wrote and figure out who's the exact opposite of that protagonist and write about them. Yeah. I will say, so Mary Sue is when you self-insert. It's like, this is who I want to be. This is my fantasy. I am the star of this book, which I think Mm -hmm. everybody's first book is always a Mary Sue book. Oh, yeah. I would just say, like, my only word of warning with that would be, like, because Patrick Rothfuss is obviously a a guy who knows what he's doing pretty much. They have to have flaws. Like, you can't, don't Mary Sue a book in the way where your character's perfect and everything actually always works out for them and they never have to struggle. Which is what we talked about in the last, no, two episodes ago? I don't know. (laughs) Your mom mom loves, hates this. We talk about how dumb that is. Oh, yeah, that was last, that would be last week, I think. Yeah, that was last week. Yeah, we don't want to see that. And and I did talk about in that a book that I felt did that and that bugged me really badly was that nobody ever actually struggled. The author just told you they were struggling, but they weren't. <laughs> so, yes, that's why I have to put that copy out in. So yeah. go ahead. But I mean, like, <laughs> Carry well, on. I mean, no, keep going. It's like, what kind of occupation do you think you would like to write about and you would like to research? Or what kind of attributes do you just think would be cool in a main character? It's really mm-hmm. easy to start with character. And then with that, you can also always start with setting and like what in the world, what in the world, whether it's contemporary or science fiction or fantasy or what have you, what in the world is creating conflict or what can you add that would create conflict? I think starting with a magic system counts as starting with setting because magic very much is an integral part of a world. If you, of course, this is for fantasy. Uh, Surprise, I write fantasy. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I said this, I think, in one of our recent episodes, but uh, I realized, and I'm realizing it more now as I think of it, that literally every single book that has stuck with me enough that I've actually written it, my initial idea for it was, I want to write this romance. I come up with an idea for a Mm. romance or for a romantic wall, and that is the book (laughs) Or I come or like, so Solo Smoke was a direct response to the insta love trope that I saw in Twilight. And I was like, why do they love each other? I want to write a book where people have a reason to love each other and then they actually have to fall in love anyways. And that is, that was the seed that drove me to write the dragon books. Yeah. And in the series I'm working on right now, it was the idea of this romance between two characters, one of whom isn't even going to be in the story until like the middle of it. Yeah. (laughs) 
She called me up and she's like, Charlie, I'm writing the second book. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I was like, well, I initially was like, Charlie, I'm writing this book. And then I started writing this book. And then I called Charlie and I was like, Charlie, oh, no, I started the second book. <laughs> I have to write the first one. Um, but yeah, it's a romance. It's the romance that drives me to write. <laughs> it's true. It's really good, too. Oh, thank you. I get to read a smishishishes of it. <laughs> Uh, someday. <laughs> I think a lot of my stuff starts with magic. Like magic is one of the first things I think of in fantasy novels. So that's really where my brain often goes. Yeah. Another thing is there you can dig into history and this includes mythology. And mm. just because you get an idea from history doesn't mean you have to write a historical. Okay. No, correct. But again, Wikipedia rabbit hole, you can watch documentaries or watch and read historicals, explore eras that are interesting to you or eras you have know nothing about. Like Mm -hmm. there are so many time periods I know so little about. And again, what happens in that era changes depending on what lens you look through, like England versus India versus Australia, like what's going on is so different. And again, you do have to be careful because I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to talk about religion. And there is definitely a line that you cannot cross and we get into um, appropriation and whether this is a story you can tell. Right. But you can definitely get story seeds from documentaries, historicals, eras, um, historical figures that interest you. You can write about that historical figure or something about their life. Might like Maybe Napoleon did something really cool when he was 12, and that's the idea for my next book. Or historical landmarks. Sometimes I go on hikes and I find historical landmarks I didn't even know were there, and they often have like a placard. Mm-hmm. And just being like, who lived here? What was their life like? You know, you get ideas. I think that especially in modern times, everything is at our fingertips at our computer. But and I it's not like I can afford to travel. Right. There is a statue like that at our local library where I was like, what's this? And it's about it turns out that it's about the history of this area and about like how the certain trail ran through this town and that led you could either go to Mexico or you could go somewhere else. I don't know. California, maybe. I don't know. But the, it forked in this town. <laughs> and I thought that was really interesting. History is so, so rich. And like here, I will tell you guys, you should listen to one of my favorite podcasts, which is the history of Rome. Man, them Romans. Dang. <laughs> you can get so many ideas for forms of government or, I mean, yeah, if you're writing fantasy, especially history is really such a rich source of inspiration i just love that podcast that guy's voice is like kind of talks in sort of monotone but it's very soothing to me i really like that podcast i listened to like the first i listened like the first like 20 episodes of it yeah but i did i totally got ideas from it for a book that i wrote sixty thousand words of and have not finished but (laughs) um i was thinking if i ever had to do my undergrad again i would i would do it in history or maybe anthropology Yeah. yeah i I liked my linguistics major, but I think that I I think a history major with a linguistics and anthropology exploration would be mm-hmm. I don't that's you know Emphasis. would be very cool. Yeah. I would totally do that. And then there's like unpopular myths and unpopular fairy tales you can totally get ideas from because we all know the super popular ones. We all know Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty mm-hmm. and the Little Mermaid. Oh man. One of my favorite less popular fairy tales is called Jorinda and Jorindelle. And it's I just really like it. She gets turned into a bird and he has to go find a flower. It's like and there's a witch in a tower and I just really like it. Ooh, I already like that. Yeah. Or like the yeah. Twa sisters. I don't know which one that is. That's the one. I, th- I think I've heard it under a couple different names. So that's the one where... Is it like, like Snow White and Rose Red? Like the other Snow White? I don't know. Like the one oh. of the sisters is jealous of the other and kills her and her bones like get washed up on shore and somebody they makes make a the flute. bone harp. I love yeah. the the bone harp. Oh my gosh. And like when you play it, it tells a story. Yeah. That's... Mm. Oh, shivers. That is present in a lot of stuff. Yeah. The bone harp is like... I just really like dark, macabre fairy tale ideas. Me too. I kind of do too. Like there was one once, and I don't remember which one. I want to say it was like the Six Swans fairy tale, but I'm not sure, where this girl had to cut off her pinky and use it as a key to open a door. Oh, I see. I don't. For some reason, that's, that's gross. Murder is fine, but that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Mutilate them so fine, much. But no, no. not We're not cutting off pinkies. <laughs> I think there's a lot of inspiration that can be gotten begetted from art and music sorry begotten and gotten are two very different things Shh, i'm making it work okay they're two things that don't fit together and i am twisting the trope of these words i am speaking that's, that's not how it works 
it's not how it works guys okay um but like getting inspiration from art and music i mean Mm. who here is a writer and does not have a pinterest board (laughs) dedicated to it ah indeed so many secret pinterest boards don't go looking at my pinterest i have a settings pinterest board i have character pinterest board i have pinterest boards for every single book i work on now because i just like the inspiration yeah as writers i this is what i love about creativity and art is that when one person is creative it can inspire so many other people to be creative mm. i there is so much inspiration to be taken from visual art from music and i think that a lot of musicians and visual artists take inspiration from stories yeah. you know like we are all in this one big cycle of inspiring each other which is one of the, i think the most beautiful things about humanity yeah yeah and it's just like going to an art gallery or seeing like movie posters or, or like i have this example of again house moving castle where Hal's bedroom is full of so many random knickknacks like uh-huh. like wind chimes and like this moving eye in a jar and like all this stuff and i'm like you could just find one thing in his room and write a book about it oh yeah for you sure you know or music yeah music this is like so jordan's really into this song right now called deep blue sea by missio and he was uh what because i have that song on a playlist i listen to almost every day oh, really yeah so he just discovered it i also like their song middle fingers it's a very caitlin song oh my god to go listen to it <laughs> it's a song about being apathetic to things oh and there's gosh. part of it that goes i am not the party middle fingers in the air and i was like it's about me oh my god <laughs> but he was he was looking at the um youtube comments on the music video for it and uh-huh. somebody said this is like a male siren I thought there's an idea. Boy, sirens, who are, of course, the brooding love interest also. Sorry, I just went straight to romance. (laughs) I'm into it. That's where we go. (laughs) That's where we go. That's an idea for music. Or like I've mentioned to you before, I might have mentioned it on this podcast too, that I've always kind of wanted to write. No, I did mention it here. I've Mm -hmm. always wanted to write a book version of Only Hope by Mandy Moore. Yes. That was in the brainstorming episode. Yep. Yes. Yep. So, and then of course, this is one you'll know about role playing. You can always get ideas from role playing. You guys, can we talk about D and D? Have you heard the good word of D and D? D and D brought me back to life and made me write books again. My friends, okay, when you're sitting around playing pretend as a grown up, and other people are playing pretend with you, but it's grown up pretend, there is nothing cooler. Sorry, the end. <laughs> So I think D&D is a really great way to encounter and overcome unexpected conflict. Like, yes, if you if you struggle with conflict, play D&D. <laughs> yeah. Also, here are some other good. Here are some other reasons why. Look, I kind of want to do an episode on this one time. And I hope you guys will humor me. But reasons why D&D is great for writers. A, you learn what it's like to not be able to control all of the circumstances that your character comes up with. And therefore, you come into conflict in unexpected ways, mm-hmm. and you learn what happens when your character fails or when when things fail. And I think it's such a good object lesson in letting your characters fail, in having things be unexpected, um, and all that kind of stuff. B, it allows you to interact with characters that you did not come up with yourself mm-hmm. so that you can see... Because one of the things that I struggle with, I feel like, is having all my characters be kind of like samey. Like they yeah. not not that they have the same traits, but that they have the same core beliefs, mm-hmm. right? They have the same system of values and and they believe the same things and, and stuff like that. And D and D like allows you to see how characters can be created that are so different from anything you would ever do. And then you just steal them and put them in your book. And- Yes, <laughs> with permission. Yes. Um, and another thing too is that D and D has built in limitations. Like, no, your character yes. can't do this. You have to. You have to earn it. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say too. Is that you have stats in D and D, and so there are characters who cannot do things sometimes. Like my current character, she could not, for the life of her, um, move a boulder. Right? Like she can't do that. She's her strength is negative one. Okay. <laughs> she is a wizard. And we also, though, we have this guy who's playing a rogue. His rogue, beca- okay, 
look, I'm trying to think how deep into this I should go. He is playing like the black sheep in a family of religious people. And when you're religious in D&D, you have this high, you usually take your stat that's called wisdom and you make it really high. So he purposefully put his lowest number that he had for his stats into his wisdom, which means that um, whatever he rolls on the dice, he has to subtract two from it. In essence, what this means now that our characters are pretty high level is that so my wizard, there are certain spells where you have to roll a wisdom roll to not have the spell cast on you. He literally cannot stop her (laughs) from (laughs) casting certain spells on him because his wisdom is so low and that is a limit. But he can't stop anybody else either, of course, because they're like, you know, in the same party. But that is one of his limitations is like he cannot resist spells whereas almost every other character can at least have some chance of resisting a spell cast on them this guy can't resist a lot of spells some spells yes these wisdom spells wisdom based spells no and it's such an interesting limitation and weakness right i love that for a character a character who can't resist it oh that's really good okay so we're going a little long we're gonna vomit a few more of these (laughs) i told you this is too long for story makers too (laughs) um so again we mentioned uh turning your dreams into books that's how twilight happened that's how will in the wilds happened so i think keeping a dream journal because i know today i did not get up on time because i was having a dream i really liked and i wanted to close my eyes and figure out how it finished and now i cannot remember what it was about (laughs) oh no but i think if i would keep a dream journal and like write in it when i first thing i got up i would have a ton of ideas there's actually one other idea i have that I really would love to expound upon sometime, but I got it from a dream. Um, an idea we got from Trisha Levenseller, and she probably talked about this in her episode as well, is the id list. So kind yeah. of like the hat game where you just write down in your like subconscious all the weird things that you really like and just <laughs> write them all down on a big list and then start smooshing some of them together so for her she liked pirates and vikings and royalties and she likes friends to lovers and fake dating and bad boys <laughs> you know mm-hmm. yep. and so yeah just be like what deep down do i really want to write about and you put that on your id list another way that i know people have written this and I, this kind of also falls into your your trilogy oh and that's id id as in like your base desires. <laughs> yes, base desires list. <laughs> yes. So another thing you can do is doing it your way. So if you read a book and they did something that you absolutely hated, like, well, if I wrote this book, I would have done this. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get a book out of that. Like, if the love triangle, she chooses guy A, you're like, well, I would have chosen guy B. Like, write your own book where she chooses guy B. I yeah. have a book that hopefully I will be selling soon that 100% was this. It's like, I don't like how they did this in this book. I'm going to write my own book where I do it the way I think it should have been done. Yeah. So kind of, kind of all of this is an insight to Caitlin as a person, kind of every book I write is a reaction to books that I don't like. Like you should have written it this way. <laughs> Watch how I do characters. <laughs> In the end, the big rule of thumb would be just don't try to think of everything at once. I think we mentioned this in brainstorming too. Yeah. Don't force all of your ideas to happen at once. Like take time to daydream, take time to let them simmer, take breaks. Don't strain yourself, especially because I feel like you come up with cooler ideas if you're easy on yourself. Agree. Well, that was a lot, you guys. <laughs> I have even more, but I I skipped it. <laughs> yeah, and we are just out of time. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I'm Caitlin McFarland, the author of the Dragonsworn trilogy and a few short stories. I am on Instagram at Words and Geekery, on Etsy at Words and Geekery if you want some dice bags. I am on Facebook at Caitlin H. McFarland, author. I don't interact a ton on there mostly look i've got to tell you if you started following me you might have noticed this i'm terrible at social media i don't (laughs) i don't really get on it very much but and it might take me a couple of days if you message me or something or comment but i will eventually respond to you probably (laughs) and um and so that is where you can find me I am Charlie N. Holmberg. I am the author of the Paper Magician series, Veins of Gold, and several others. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and especially Instagram at CN Holmberg. And you can now find me on YouTube, and I am under Charlie Holmberg Music. 
That's right. Charlie just released her first song. I guess it'll be a few weeks ago now. It's at the end of April. But yeah, you guys should totally check it out. It's, Charlie's a very fun musician. Yeah. My my serious songs, yeah, it's Digital Love. And by the time this comes out, um, Not Alone will be out too. Mm-hmm. And so those are like my my more serious music. And then if you want to see my not serious music, you can see me singing my bad reviews on my Instagram account. <laughs> Which is really fun. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you can find the podcast if you want to follow the podcast and get updates. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Your Mom Writes Books. Indeed, indeed. Oh, crap. I need a pun. <laughs> also, you can email us with any questions, comments, whatever you have at yourmomwritesbooks at gmail.com. What's your pun, Charlie? I don't, I'm trying to think of some way to make it about tea because it kind of sounds like idea. <laughs> okay, what do you call a cliche young adult novel that you don't want to read? What? A nope trope. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the best I got. That's the best I got given the time I have. Uh, good one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys as always so much for listening and we will see you. Well, we drop on Tuesdays, which I don't think Charlie said this time, so I'll say it. This uh, podcast drops every Tuesday. Please rate, review, subscribe if you like our content, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye.